This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. We will also explore threats to meaningful engagement in sport and movement culture practices and ask questions about what we can learn about the human condition through our involvement in sport. The guests are leading scholars in human and social sciences of sport who will share their explorations in a scholarly as well as a personal context. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Today's episode is the second part of our discussion on sport and meaning under the COVID pandemic with Dr. Mark Nesty. In the first part, which I recommend you to check out, we explored how existential psychology can help us understand the world where we find ourselves in, and how the pandemic might lead some of us to see sport differently. Today, we will continue exploring existential ideas and how they can help us understand sport and the world under the pandemic. Mark will share some insights on his applied work with athletes, talk about his current academic writing, and also talk about the personal meaning of sport in his life. Dr. Mark Nesty has recently stepped down as reader in sports psychology at Liverpool John Moores University. He is now working as a British Psychological Society chartered sports psychologist with the first team players and staff at Yorkshire County Cricket Club and Aston Villa. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Yeah, I think the last kind of existential theme that comes through the literature that we haven't talked about yet is kind of the future orientation or existential psychology is kind of not interested in digging into your childhood and finding what's the source of all your problems in life but it's more interested in what is happening at the present moment and and looking into the future and what can you do to become the person who you want to be. And so in this situation, it's very difficult to think about the future because nobody knows what is going to happen next week. For many athletes, all the competitions and everything has been cancelled and, and there is really impossible to say when they are going to compete again or when something is going to happen in the sport again. So how would you work with an athlete when you cannot really think about the future, in, in at least not in concrete terms? But, but in a way, Nora, I think this is really interesting because this is just a more extreme version of life in that we never really know what the future mm, is. That's true. And we think that we do, but this moment now has actually made it really vivid and clear that we don't control what's going to happen in the future. I don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. You might shut me down. 
the reality is that there are always, particularly in very fast-paced, high-level professional sports, but for everybody, really, you're taking part in, in sport and even in the rest of life, there are so many unknowns in, in truth. This, this is just a more extreme version of that. And I still take your point. It's a very important point that, you know, usually athletes are quite sure that they've got events to work towards. Whether they make them is another story, but they've got events, whether it's major competitions or levels that they need to aspire to and achieve, but there's still huge amounts of uncertainty around whether they will achieve those goals and those aims and those dreams and those visions. So really, this is just, you know, an incredible moment that brings that um, into stark relief. And in terms of maybe something I did want to say, which is, you know, I hope um, something that maybe some listeners will think is a little bit pessimistic and, and um, you know, that, that it won't be like that because of you know, the experience that people are having. I, I, I wish I could imagine that 50% or the vast majority of people, athletes and others, but we're talking about sport here, will, will um, reflect on the experiences they're having now and will draw on these and, and bring what they've learned here um, into different ways of their athletic and sports careers as they move forward, whatever level that may be whether that means to see competition in a new way, where they understand that competition is really nothing without attempting to perform and play in an ethical way. It's redundant. It's one of the reasons why so many people who hate sport and dislike sports people um, adopt that stance, because they see a brittle extreme competition. So whether it affects your view of competition, whether it affects your view of what sport is, whether it affects your view of what you've just done with this period of your life. I hope for deep reflection against a kind of understanding that there's uncertainty and therefore feel like aspirations and choices that you can't guarantee will come to pass. Um, but the pessimistic bit of me is I remember reading a study and it was about the military and it was many years ago and it's not a sport context but where this study with a lovely follow-up study, longitudinal um, study, quantitative and qualitative data, identified that despite a very, very severe critical moment, and I won't get into what that was, but it was very severe and prolonged, only one in 20, in other words, 5% of the individuals involved actually truly changed behavior, actually truly deeply learned. And the others, maybe they had, but you couldn't tell from any of their behaviours and responses, they went back to where they were before. So I hope for 6%, that would be an improvement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, um, that's going to be playing to the hands of those who think anyone who's interested in the existential view sees life in, in, in the negative rather than the positive. I don't think that's the case. I, I just think that it's, it's very difficult for people to, to make these sorts of changes. But, but I hope that, you know, more, and, and then it can build from there. Um, but, yeah, you make a, a, you know, a fine point. This is um, very much more radical than, than anything that athletes have ever experienced before, the current group, and that they really are, are finding that they can't wait. They can't wait for something that they think is going to happen in a year or two or three years' time. Uh, they're, they're having to make 
choices now um, that they can't put off. And I'd love to give you an example, and, and I don't want to personalise it, but in the last few weeks, I've seen athletes who have made choices about their lives, about their careers, and I don't want to say any more because that would be saying too much, um, that in normal times, I think these athletes would have just pushed it to the back and wait for that choice to be made for them. They've actually been proactive and done some things that are actually quite remarkable and taken some control. And I'm sure they felt, in fact, I remember sending a text to one of them saying, what a courageous thing you've done because the anxiety that must have been around this decision that affects your life and that of your family is incredible. But I think you've made the right decision, although time will tell in many different ways, but you've made a decision, which is the key. You've taken some responsibility, and for that, you must feel much better. So existential themes are all around, and uh, yeah, um, I, I see some athletes are actually recognising that they need to reflect and, and, and make choices before that's done for them. Yeah, I think it's now a nice time to start talking a bit more about these applied experiences that you had in the last few months. But I think kind of rounding up the last comment about the future and about all the goals that athletes had, I think you put it really nicely that in a way this situation is revealing that ultimately our lives are groundless. We can have all kinds of projects and all kinds of goals and and different things to look forward to. But ultimately, life is not in control. Sometimes we believe it is, but anything can happen. And, and this is one of those things that could happen, even if no one was expecting that. You know, I fully agree with that. And, uh, uh, you know, who, who would want a moment anywhere near this type of experience? As I say, let's take it at least at the level that this is a huge, huge disruption um, in all sorts of different ways to what usually passes for normal life. But no, you're absolutely right. It um, it makes it so clear that, you know, we have much less control. We have some influence. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to do what we're attempting to do, the good things we're attempting to do. It certainly doesn't mean that. But it does mean that the anxiety that people have about things that are yet to come, and of course that's the definition of anxiety, that that anxiety maybe um, might eventually in some cases be managed better as people begin to realise that they have control, if you like, over the processes, and this is how the applied people would talk, the control of the processes to some degree, but in terms of the outcome, far less control but that most certainly doesn't that's not a a gospel of despair that most certainly doesn't mean don't attempt don't try give up because then you're guaranteed to get what you don't want so yeah let's talk about the a little bit of applied experience yeah let's let's move into that so you have been working with several high level and and elite athletes during this time of of disruption so Obviously, taking care of the anonymity and, and everything else, it would be really good to hear some of the experiences from your work. Yeah, I think um, in general, and, and you know, I have quite a few colleagues who I've kept uh, close contact with, 
um, a, a small small group, but across um, the UK and, and in Europe, a couple in, in the States. Um, in terms of their experiences of doing applied work and uh, what they found has been useful and well-received and effective, what they've been comfortable with, what they've been uncomfortable doing. Um, and I would say that this for the practitioners, so let's not talk just about the athletes and the, and the coaches now, but let's talk about the practitioners. That I think that, certainly the ones I know, that this has made them reflect more deeply on um, what they think is important in terms of their practice, what they think, if you want to put it in another term, what might be useful and effective. Um, and again, it sounds paradoxical, but deeper level it probably isn't. And that's, I think, forced certain people to go back and, and uh, read and maybe reread literature, um, look at theory, sometimes even look at research, and, uh, and, and try and get a if you like, a, a stronger grounding uh, justification for the way that they want to operate. Um, and that sounds a strange thing to do because that literature is typically you know, not written during this period. And yet that, to me, is really interesting because it shows you know, the, the value and, and the, the strength, the power of that type of literature, that it's, it's still really helpful in terms of guiding your own practice and when I you know I've been asking a little bit more about what kind of work people have been reading and I think also about myself I really haven't been going back to read um, you know the more technical manuals about you know how to carry out good goal setting important though it is it's not those sorts of things that have been reading quite frankly it's literature that is more um, sometimes philosophical as well as psychological. And a lot of it is about me, the practitioner, me, the person, um, as much as you know, guiding me exactly what I should do in the next Skype call, the next Zoom meeting or whatever it is that's taking place. So I think this has been a really powerful time for the best practitioners um, the practitioners who are also working in really demanding, challenging, sometimes usually high-level areas, to go back and think clearly about what is my philosophy of practice, what 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 philosophical and psychological perspectives underpin what I'm doing, um, because I'm kind of in, not kind of, in fact, I am in new territory here. And I hear lots of different reactions in terms of what people are expecting, whether they're athletes or coaches. So, so that's the practitioners. I mean, we can move on to athletes if you, you know, and coaches, if you want to ask a specific question, Nora. Yeah, I think um, we can talk about the athletes who you work with and um, how it has been to be uh, delivering your support in in a very different way from what you are used to doing. I think. Um, I can't make a, of course, and I shouldn't make a sweeping statement that they're really um, the accurate and, and truthful account in, in anything. But um, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, for some individuals, um, the lack of face-to-face -face work, um, you know, the direct encounter that you can get, the presence, the physical presence, the psychological and spiritual presence of being in the company of another, another human being, um, beyond what's 
beyond what we agree, beyond what's discussed, that that has been really difficult to um, overcome. That whilst technology has allowed some incredible things to happen, that you know, thirty years ago, how would this be? How would this be done? In fact, even ten years ago, um, it, it also strangely reveals the the incredible strength and weakness of technology it, it, in a way that's, um, I think, connected back to some of the, the existential writers, many of them and very closely associated writers who've warned about the dangers of a technocratic society and, and over-reliance on technology, a depersonalization, an impersonal way of communicating. So actually, in some ways, it's heightened that because quite clearly some performers and athletes um, have, you know, wanted that personal engagement, and now they realise they need that even more. So they miss that hugely. But then on the other side, it has allowed, you know, um, with remote delivery being the norm, not all of the time, but most of the time, um, and it has allowed, um, you know, different ways of engaging, um, different opportunities for maybe those who are reluctant to do face-to-face -face work, particularly with a psychologist, maybe um, more comfortable with the relative anonymity of a call um, and, the, and the greater kind of structure that's necessary in terms of, you know, the way that we're, we're talking right now, um, where we have to have some discipline and structure and focus to um, what we're doing um, for it to be uh, something that um, we can both engage in. It's like the rules of our communication are, are more strict through this type of channel. So, so some have benefited from that, and and then also it's been an opportunity to to give people information, um, that and 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 you know, if you like a form of education where people can and might be more prepared to do that because they've got time, because they haven't got, you know, the personal contact. So they're thrown back on their own resources and, and, and maybe more reading has taken place. I'd like to think so. Um, and, and so, as I say, there have been pros and cons to this. And, and I'm sure it will be an incredible set of research papers that will be written down the line in terms of, you know, the, uh, the benefits and, and, and the drawbacks to psychological sports psychology practice in relation to well-being and performance during this time. I won't be writing that paper, but that will be that will be quite a paper. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned kind of uh, diving into this uncharted territory or kind of the new things that different practitioners who, who you talk to have read. Is there something new that you have been reading or some new ideas that you have been exploring during this time? Uh, I'm looking over at all my books right now that are sitting there. And uh, I'm actually writing a, a book at the moment, which is um, on sport and psychology. And, and probably it's the interface, I think, between um, philosophy and probably some elements of theology. I'm going to have to borrow from there, but, but not in any extensive way. And so I'm looking across to see you know, what's happened and in terms of that's, that's a particular outcome. In terms of my reading, and and without boring people, um, I have two rows of books, and, and one row is meant to be the prime 
sources, and they're mostly books, I have to say, and let's not get into that topic as to why they are. Um, but they are mostly books, and I have one row um, above another, and, and the one beneath um, I thought was already filtered for the book. And the book is going to be about joy and beauty and spirit and spontaneity and despair and sacrifice and a whole host of words and courage um, that are primarily hope from a psychological point of view. And I suppose what I've been doing is, in this time, this period, I've been going back to some of the books that I'd relegated to have a look at them. And I'm not sure they're going to appear in the book, but I think that they're going to be useful and have been useful in terms of my own um, experience here. And I'm looking at one right now. I can read it side on. And the title is Turmoil. And it's actually a philosophical legal text, an American book from a few years ago. And it has nothing whatsoever about sport, nothing directly about sport. Um, and I suppose that's what's happened with my reading, is that it's got broader and broader. And as I say, I suppose this is a book that legal scholars would, would read. I mean, I struggle with some of it but it's written in a way I think that is still reasonably accessible to somebody who's got a pretty decent social science background, social science humanities. And so I'm finding myself reading books that are um, outside of just psychology and philosophy. I'm going broader and broader. And I suppose that that is maybe a sign of the times, that we're in a very unique moment where it's easier to see how with all the different disciplines that we have, particularly in the human sciences and the social sciences, how that they are so interconnected, how, how you know, this experience for people cannot be reduced to, you know, a physical, medical perspective. It can't even be reduced, it some, sometimes seems in the UK, to a physical, medical, psychological perspective. It, it's, it's not just that. It's, it's emotional. It's spiritual. It's touching on meaning. It's touching on purpose. It's touching on life goals. So I know that's a very, very lengthy answer, but, but I am literally looking down at my bottom row. There's, there's literature in there, by the way. I'm looking at Oscar Wilde. I don't know if you readers will know him, but he's a, a very, very famous English writer. And uh, I've got a book by, um, and I'm not a great reader of poetry, um, but it's Alexander Pope, who's one of the most... Um, well-known and, and famous of English poets and, and some of his work which touches on these topics that we're talking about now um, and I'm going back to that and I'm, I'm you know struggling, it's poetry it's not the easiest for a sporty person to read um, and I'm trying not to read it in an analytical way but so I'm, I'm yeah I'm my literature that's piled up around, around me here is uh, is broader than ever Hmm. So it sounds like during this time you are actually exploring kind of different ways of making sense and, and using even poetry, which kind of nicely fits existential psychology, which was never just a technical activity, but has always been inspired by different authors and poets and, and playwriters and, and having this very broad kind of ground where to draw from. I think that's absolutely correct, and I've not done it consciously, which again would be, a, you know, in keeping with some of the existential themes. Um, and and it's, I don't think it's been driven by 
some subconscious moment that happened when I was four and a half. So let's not get Freudian. Um, but but I think it has been partly the experience I'm having now, where I finished my university position. I finished at the kind of you know, the age that you're kind of at one time meant to. Although in today's world, I believe I could go on to 93. I'm not sure why anybody wants to listen to me that long. Um, so it's partly my own experience of having stopped my you know full-time job and career, but trying to continue on with my vocation in some particular way. I think it's my vocation, and what anybody else thinks. Um, and uh, you're quite right that I have broadened and broadened and looking essentially for different ways of expressing similar things, similar ideas. And, uh, and and that is probably another way of describing a kind of holistic experience and, and maybe stepping back. And maybe it is a way, instead of thinking that you're going deeper, that I'm actually stepping back and trying to see things. Um, and, and also my applied experience, I'm trying to actually see that differently. Um, and and, and this is maybe not the time and place and, and it would bore people to I'm sure to talk about you know what that has actually meant to me and how I've been wrestling with it this year um, but most practitioners out there particularly if they're sports psychologists or people who've done some psychologically um, informed work in a sport environment know that it can be extremely frustrating very very difficult not just the material that you're delivering with not just the work that you do in fact that's usually the easier part but but trying to work and deliver something that is really quite still quite unusual and to some degree quite misunderstood and and for understandable reasons so it's it's quite challenging and and so um that's usually what you're thinking about when you're a practitioner, why is this not effective as it could be? How can I operate differently within a different environment to be more effective? And and I think this moment has, if it has for the athletes and coaches, at least for some of them, made you step back and then step back again, that's certainly happened for myself. And say, actually, less is more. No, less is more. And actually, it should be about quality of engagement and not quantity. And actually, if people really want to engage, that's great. But if people, for whatever reason, don't want to engage, that's okay at this moment in time. Because you're not in full control of this. And actually, small things that you can do that don't look that much may actually connect to much bigger ideas and may actually be much more meaningful and much more effective and useful. I hate to use those words, but they're important. Um down the line, if not now. So I suppose that's what's happening with my reading. I'm not looking to um, find affirmation for what I'm doing in this this first year of semi-retirement um, compared to how I've worked before. Um, but it is somehow mirroring um, my practice. And and that's that doesn't mean I don't think that this can be very useful at this moment in time. Maybe later on it can be as well. But I think it's the challenge that anybody who does practice, athletes and performers, you imagine, particularly in some sports, want solutions right now and they want to use them right now. And so for me, in my experience, in this critical moment that we're encountering, as well as I think some of the athletes, 
and some of the coaches and, and other staff beginning to realise actually a lot of the time that's not really what's required. That's not really the best way. So, you know, long term, depth, quality, fewer rather than more, all of those sorts of themes would be underpinning complex rather than simple. I don't mean complicated, I mean complex, I mean rich. All of those, and I think they're all, as you would say, Nora, I'm sure you're going to say in a minute, they're all quite consistent with the existential writers, whether they are uh, novelists, philosophers, psychologists, or others. Yeah, I think I'd like to kind of round back to sport and meaning and, and kind of this time of disruption. And I really appreciate you talking about your professional philosophy and, and your and your writing that you're doing. But let's go back to you as a sport participant. You mentioned about your cycling and you mentioned about your golf and, and we'd had like some good discussions about running and how it's not always very pleasant. And uh, let's talk about you as a sport participant. If we are existentialist, I think we require some self-examination. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about your own involvement in sport and exercise during this time and what does it reveal about the meaning of sport? It's a great question and a necessary one. And I think when I reflect on um, what I hope to do in my active sport life in the, in the next few years, um, and uh, we've already said you don't have full control over these things, but what, what I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be doing is... Um, best described as um, getting closer and closer I suppose it's what I've always been trying to do closer and closer to um, playing performing and doing things the way that I would like to do them and I know that you know, there's other people involved and there's other circumstances and, and we won't go back over the idea of situated freedom but being able to do it more fully the way that um, is meaningful to me and to help me in that which sounds maybe very strange but maybe not and it's certainly not in a Freudian way because it's absolutely clear to me um, I've spent quite a lot of time going back to remembering what happened to me when I was 10 11 and 12 which at a personal level we're probably now looking back the time in my life when I achieved um, most in sport and uh, I certainly won't describe and talk that through now because that will really send your listeners completely to sleep we've all had maybe phases where you know things came together as it were and that was one of the moments for me and i've been looking back and thinking back to not the external achievements a little bit of course i have a weak ego like everybody else and um, but mostly what is it that made that so deeply enjoyable for me why was that such a huge part of my life 50 years later? Why did that lead me down the path to spending the majority of my life um, and, and still doing it, you know, working in the area of sport? What, why is that something that I wanted to do so much? Why did it mean so much to me? And so I've then used that, in a sense, to try, even though my body is clearly not able to do what I want it to do in the same way, but to try and think at a deeper level what it is that I 
loved, and I use that word, and I literally mean it, loved, not was motivated towards or keen on or found interesting, but actually loved. And, and it's these sorts of things, the capacity to live outside of time and outside of history, to be in certain moments, whether it's playing tennis, golf, or cycling, or even running, to be honest, Nora, at the moment, even running, I'm not sure about my weights, but even running and doing a little bit of uh, fun boxing with some of the guys in the street that we have not been able to do for a while, just being lost in the moment, outside of time, outside of history, literally me moving in whichever way, but not conscious of whether it's fantastic or average or somewhere else. And so that has been something that always was so powerful to me, and that's something I'm looking for now. And and moments of um, beauty and aesthetics, whether they're encountered by you know a lovely shot, a great shot, and the feeling of being with that shot, or whether it's when I stop running and look where I am <laughs> and stop at the top of that cycle that I talked about and looked at the beautiful hills and the incredible sky that was around me. Um, so it's not to go through the list, but it's to go back over those deep words that somehow sports psychology is somehow overlooked and left to philosophy, which is fine, but it's not fine. So the deeper words that really give some understanding to why I've, at whatever level, and I've not achieved anything incredible, but whatever level, why I have wasted my life on something that doesn't produce anything. But of course, it hasn't been a waste and it has brought some purpose and meaning. Not everything. And that's maybe for another podcast in terms of how it leads into spiritual life. In my life, maybe you don't want to do that. And that's for another occasion. But in terms of this particular human activity, it's uh, it's given me personally all those sorts of words. An encounter with joy, with beauty, with being lost in the moment. Um, with movement itself, all those sorts of things. And and now that's more clear than it's ever been since I was 10, 11, and 12. So they do talk, and some of the great poets talk about, you know, coming back home. I can't quote T.S. Eliot word for word, another great English poet, but he writes about at the end of your life coming right back. And I don't mean my life is ending, I hope, not yet, but coming back at, towards the end of a period of, of time coming back to a place that you know well and seeing it properly for the first time. And that's not, unfortunately, word for word what he says, but it's very close to it. And and I'm, I'm aiming for that. I'm aspiring to that and enjoying that. And I think just what you said about these experiences and how we never talk about them in psychology or at least not in sports psychology, that is also kind of limiting our our imagination and kind of the exploring the different ways that sport could be meaningful for us. And I think in that sense, the book that you are writing about all these things and all these words that we don't use in sports psychology is also very valuable in opening up different ways of thinking about sport and, and finding other ways of uh, making meaning out of your experience. Couldn't agree more, and I don't mean in relation to my book, but um, I'm sure there will be more scholarly and, and better researched accounts that will uh, will come. But I am, for the first time ever in my life, taking lots of time 
over this piece of work just to make it a little bit better than some of the work I've, I've done in the past, I hope. Um, and I hope that, you know, and I know you feel the same, that that will others will do this. And, and for me, I just say maybe one of the last points on this, it's not actually really because I want the academic community to understand sport in a different way. I mean, that would be wonderful. And I don't mean everyone because some already do. Um, but I think that this connects much closer to the lived reality of what people are doing. I think this connects to what happened here in my hometown in Scotland, where when the golf courses were open, they were absolutely flooded with all ages and both sexes and different styles and different levels and a whole host of variety. And why were people doing that? What was the reason they were doing that? They certainly weren't doing that, most of them, just so that they could lower their handicap or become the next you know, world-class golfer. They weren't doing it somewhere, but most weren't. So those are psychological questions, and we need others beyond philosophers, and well done the philosophers and sociologists and others who've spoken, but I'd like to see psychology be true to itself, the breadth of the discipline, and, and connect much more closely to the real lived experience of ordinary people. Then actually, you know what, I actually believe that many more people will have a very positive, constructive view of psychology rather than so many people on the ground tend to smile and think that it's somehow unreal and for people who hide away in rooms as opposed to getting out on the golf course. And I'm very sympathetic to that view. Yeah, I think we will start wrapping up. So if you just kind of pick one or two ideas, what would be the things that you hope that the listeners of our episode will take home with them? Well, for those who are um, academics of various sorts, be they researchers or in full-time posts at various levels, but quite frankly also for people who are designated as not academics. Um, so anybody who's passionately interested in this area, sport, that they will... Extend their reading is the best way I can put it. And read something that, at least to begin with, connects to the experiences that they have in sport, to what they um, have encountered in different ways, to maybe think, first of all, why does this give so much purpose and meaning to my life? Why have I been so interested in this? And so to go wherever that takes you and not draw lines around that it must be psychology, even worse, it must be just behavioural, cognitive psychology or existential psychology, that it must be our team, our group, that you go wherever that leads you and, and you read but with that impetus behind you. So that's one of the things I would like. So I was an academic. I still somehow think that I still am in some way, even though I'm not paid for that. And, and, and I think, I'd like to start with an academic point. The, the, the second one is maybe more um, the other side that we've been talking about, practice. And and maybe, you know, to my own practitioners, and, and I you know, include anybody who's doing work that has a psychological impact, and that would be um, to, when we have the chance, and we have a chance now, but certainly if we go down the line, not to forget as best that we can, to remember some of the things that have been learned during this 
this critical moment, this this fracture, this very challenging experience, um, and and let that impact your practice in different ways. Whether that is more about how you develop yourself, or and or how you do the work that you do on a day to day basis, um, whatever the answer is, whichever way that you turn that you don't miss the opportunity from this existential experience that we're having to um, try and use that to enhance and improve your own professional practice. And uh, that's not me telling people. That's not because I've got it right. I most certainly haven't. But I just think that, you know, out of something as difficult, ugly, challenging as this, it would be great, and we're only talking about sport and athletics here, but we've been through how important that is. It would be great to see maybe new ways of practicing, new ways of, of seeing what people do. Yeah, I think those were some really, really important points to take home and, and think about, and it will all lead us to different ways, and, and what we find out about our lives and ourselves will be individual. But that's that's something we can all reflect on and, and try to learn from, from this experience. So thank you so much, Mark, for your time. I really enjoyed our talk and, and I hope and I trust that the listeners will also enjoy the episode. Thank you. You're welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day